Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. I'm Eric, discipleship pastor here at New Life Lutheran Church. Thanks for listening in today. Today on the podcast, we are hearing our sermon from the fourth Sunday in Advent. And you can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com, at Podbean, Spotify, Google Play Music, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Our scripture today is from the first chapter of Luke, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Thanks for listening today. Let's get growing. Well, we are continuing in in our teaching series called Christmas Traditions. And during Advent, we've taken some time to talk about all the Christmas traditions because more than likely, you probably have a couple of Christmas celebrations before we actually get to the day of Christmas, right? And so we actually wanted to take the time of Advent before Christmas to prepare our hearts and prepare our minds for all the different things that we are going to experience throughout the Christmas season. And Pastor Ben started us out on this series talking about how all of our traditions, all of our Christmas traditions came from one place. All, all of our traditions have a foundation in one fact that Jesus lives. That God became flesh, the Son of God became flesh, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the hell, and then on the third day, he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he has ascended with God and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he prays for us, and he oversees us, and he sends us the Holy Spirit now. And all because of that, all because Jesus lives, that's why we do all of these celebrations. That's why we get together and we celebrate Christmas. That's why we do all of those things, is because Jesus lives. Then we moved on and we talked about some of the other traditions that we had. We talked about Christmas cards and how God likes to speak to us. We talked about, last week, my least favorite Christmas tradition, which is Christmas stress. And more often than not, stress is a natural part of our Christmas experience. And this week we're going to talk about, not my least favorite tradition, but actually my favorite tradition. My favorite part about the Christmas season is family. And so we're going to be talking about why we gather together as family, and what we can do as families to glorify God, and how our families can be healthy. Did you know that in 2015, Pew Research did a, a, a big research project, and they found that 90% of people, 90% of Americans, spend their holiday, spend Christmas and celebrate Christmas with extended family or friends. 90%. And that same study found that 107 million people, over 107 million Americans, travel more than 50 miles 
to see their extended family or friends during the Christmas season. Now, my, my family's from Kansas, my wife and I's family's from Kansas, so we, have, we travel enough for like 10 people. But we, people travel more than 50 miles, 107 million people. Family is just a natural part of what we do for Christmas. It's just a natural part of what we experience for Christmas. And as we've been going through the first chapter of Luke, wouldn't you know that we, in fact, see a story about a family? We hear about Mary and Elizabeth. We hear about these two ladies who, as in the last couple weeks, we heard both of these women were told that they were pregnant, miraculously pregnant. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ben shared the scripture where an angel came to Zechariah and said, Zechariah, your wife is going to be pregnant, but Elizabeth was almost 80 years old, is what scholars think. So an 80-year-old woman was pregnant. It was miraculous. That shouldn't happen, Right? And then last week we heard a story about an angel coming to Mary. And Mary was a virgin, very, very young, only 13, 12, 13, 14 years old. And the angel said to Mary, Mary, you are pregnant. So we have these two stories of miraculous pregnancies. And these two women happen to be related. We're told that, that the angel Gabriel, when he went to Mary, he said, your relative Elizabeth is pregnant. And we don't know if Elizabeth was a cousin or an aunt. We don't know. Probably a distant relative. So we're not talking a mother or probably not even a grandmother. It was probably a more distant relative than that. So a second or third cousin or a distant aunt or something like that. And as we uh, go throughout the scriptures, we hear this story from this uh, passage in Luke. It says this, In those days, Mary set out, and went with haste to a Judean hill country, where she entered into the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary, like many of us, during this season, she traveled to go visit a relative. She went to go see her family. And to me, when my family gets together, I don't know about your family, but my family, when we get together, we tell lots of stories. We play pitch during Christmas. That's our, that's our card game that we play during Christmas. But oftentimes over pitch or over euchre or over dinner or lunch, your family tells stories, don't they? You hear stories about where your family came from, who your family worked for. The, families that, the stories that my family told may be my grandpa talking about his grandpa, a Philadelphia Irishman who built and manufactured wagon wheels for the Union Army and then moved to Kansas, to Atchison, Kansas for better prospects for his family. Or we'll hear the story of my mother when she was a girl. Her, my aunt, her sister, was 10 years older, is 10 years older than her. And my aunt brought home a boyfriend from college, and they were riding in a car in the back seat. and out of mistaken identity, my mother thought that she was picking on her sister, but was in fact took a big bite out of her boyfriend's finger. And that man is now, they, got, they end up getting married, and that man is now my uncle, and we love him, and he's a great part of our family. Or maybe it would be, you'd hear stories even like my, uh, my sister, when we were kids, she had a habit of sleepwalking and sleep talking. And so when she, uh, one, one Christmas, she woke up and, well, woke up, she was still asleep and she stood at the top of my aunt's stairs and she hollered down to all the adults who were downstairs getting the Christmas gifts ready. She hollered down, there's a birthday cake on Eric's head. You need to save him. And of course, my parents came up and helped her go back to sleep and saved me from the inevitable birthday cake disaster, right? 
But I'm sure there are stories that you tell your family. There are stories that you share, funny stories, happy stories, sad stories. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Um, but these stories that we tell one another, they shape our identity. They do something to us. Maybe the stories that your family tells is that we were Norwegian or German or Irish settlers, and we came to this place, and we immigrated, our family immigrated here to make a better life for us. Or maybe there's stories like, our generation has worked for John Deere for two generations, three generations, and you're the people that stamp the John Deere logo on your boots. There's nothing wrong with a good pair of boots. It's just kind of weird when there's John Deere on them. Or maybe our family came here four generations ago and settled this land, and now we have farmed this land for four generations. And these stories, they do something to us. They shape our identity. They shape the way that we think about our families. But some stories aren't good. So for me, being an Anderson, the Anderson is not a good name in my family. It's an abusive, an alcoholic name. A family that mistreated about grandparents who mistreated their sons. And now my dad has tried his best to reverse that, to reverse what it means to be an Anderson in our family. And so even these bad stories shape our identity. They shape how we think about ourselves. They shape how we talk about ourselves. So these stories that we tell can be good, they can be bad, but all stories are extremely powerful. And so I'm just going to lay my cards on the table this morning. The point that I'm trying to make is this. So if, I don't know if you're a note taker, but if you're going to write something down, write this down. That families are best when we find ourselves in God's story. Families are best when we situate our, our context, when we contextualize our situations into God's stories. Our family is best when we understand our family story in God's bigger story, in his better story. And that's exactly what Elizabeth and Mary do. Scripture goes on. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? You see, Mary was engaged to be married, but she was not married yet. And here she was pregnant. A young girl, pregnant. Now, almost never, I'm going to, say, going to go ahead and say never, in history, except for this one occurrence, has somebody ever been pregnant miraculously like this, right? That doesn't happen. This is the only time it has happened. So I'm guessing if I were Elizabeth, and I heard that my young relative was pregnant out of wedlock, I would believe one thing, that she had been unfaithful to her fiancé. Or her and her fiancé had broken the Mosaic law, the, the Jewish law, and that they had, had, they had slept together and had become pregnant together before marriage. So I'm guessing Elizabeth was telling herself a story about her relative, about this young girl that came to her to see her. And the story was probably that this young lady was unfaithful to her fiancé. The story that Elizabeth was telling was probably that Mary made a mistake, And had this unplanned pregnancy. But as soon as she meets Mary, this story that she maybe had been telling herself goes away. She's filled the Holy Spirit and she tells a different story about Mary's unplanned pregnancy. She says this, Why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? Now she understands Both Elizabeth and Mary, they had been raised in Jewish households. They were both faithful Jewish women. 
Over their whole lifetimes, they had been hearing stories about how God redeemed Israel, about how God saved Israel, about how God rescued Israel out of Egypt, about how God created the world and promised Abraham that he would have a family that would bless the whole world. They heard stories about King David, a ruddy-faced shepherd boy who was going to be raised up by God and made king, made the greatest king in Israelite history. They heard stories about the prophets who promised a coming Messiah that would rescue Israel and draw all nations together into one people that were going to worship God. Mary and Elizabeth had been hearing stories of God's salvation, of God's redemption, and of God's promise their whole life. And Elizabeth may have been telling one story about Mary. But when she saw Mary and was filled by the Holy Spirit, she told a much different story. The story that she began to tell was not her story, was not Mary's story, but was God's story. She recognized that this child that Mary was carrying was the Lord, was the Messiah, was the promised one, was the Christ. And she said, how is it that the mother of my Lord has come to me? How is it that now... The one who is going to bear my Messiah has come to me. See, situated Mary's story of an unplanned pregnancy into God's greater story of redemption of a people. In your life and in my life, I'm sure that we have some bad stories, right? Maybe of broken relationships. It may be of abusive family situations. It may be of deaths of loved ones. Those are all stories that we tell that shape us. Maybe a story that a mother tells herself is that she's a caring mother, but the children interpret that story much differently, and they see it as an overbearing mother. Or maybe a child who is trying to go and leave and move into a bigger city to have a better opportunity for their family. That's the story that they're telling, but the mother and father see that story much differently of a child who's abandoning them and abandoning their family. And moving far away. There are lots of stories that we tell ourselves that shape how we think about our families. And it's tempting to let these little stories dictate how we interact with our family. But the important thing is that we need to always be thinking about God's greater story. You're going to have some people in your family that aren't Christians, that don't believe, and you're going to have to be able to think through their experience in the context of God's greater story. And we see one example in... Romans. This is what St. Paul says in Romans. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance, our endurance. I'm sorry. We hear St. Paul talk about how God is redeeming all things to himself through Jesus Christ, that God is sweeping up all experiences and all of history to himself, and that now we, as Christians, as people who have faith in Jesus, can have access to God and can love God and can follow God through Jesus Christ. And he says, because of that, we boasted our hope. We know that something's coming, and that something is a God who's going to recreate heaven and earth. He's going to wipe away every tear. This is what we read in Revelation and in Isaiah. He's going to redeem all broken relationships. There's not going to be anger. There's not going to be war. There's not going to be strife. He's going to, he's going to mold swords, swords into plowshares. He's going to redeem and change all conflict, all hate, all bitterness, all broken relationships are going to be reconciled and fixed. That those who believe in his son Jesus Christ are going to be able to live in the presence of God for all eternity. 
That's the hope that Paul's talking about here. We have hope in sharing God's glory of reconciliation. But not only do we have hope in something that's coming, not only do we boast in something that's coming, but we also boast in our sufferings. Paul says we can look back and we can look at all of our experiences, even our bad experiences, and we can boast in those. Because through our bad experiences, God is beginning to do the work of redemption and the work of salvation and the work of reconciliation through those bad things. Through the death of a loved one, families that are broken can come together and be healed. That's a bad thing that God is going to use for good. Through a broken relationship, God can use those people in that broken relationship. And as they reconcile and as they get back together, as that marriage is healed, as that sibling relationship is healed, God is glorified because that's a picture of the redemption and the reconciliation that God is going to bring in the future. Even our bad things that happen to us, God can use for good. In fact, that's exactly what Paul tells us. That he works out all things for the good of those who love him. Even the bad. All things can be worked out for good. So if we find ourselves in God's story, if we find ourselves in this grand narrative of a God who created, who called, who saved, who promised, and who delivered in the person of Jesus Christ, and now who is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus, if we find our stories within God's story, that's the proper place of family. Family can be a place where grace and discipleship and maturity happens because we can find our stories in God's greater story. That's what we celebrate during Christmas, that God became one of us, that he came to join us. As Eugene Peterson, um, as he translates John 1, he says God moved into the neighborhood. He became like us to be with us, and that's the story that we can tell. So this Christmas... Let God's story impact your, your family by reminding one another of all that God has done for you, both the good and the bad. Because he will redeem and he will reconcile and we can hope in that and we boast in that hope. And we also boast in our sufferings knowing that God has worked out all things and is working out all things for our good.